Our first reading this morning is from the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 21, verses 18 through 24. Listen to God's word. Then the angel of the Lord commanded God, Gad, to tell David that he should go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So David went up following Gad's instructions, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Ornan turned and saw the angel, and while his four sons who were with him hid themselves, Ornan continued to thresh wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David. He went out from the fleshing floor and did obeisance to David with his face to the ground. David said to Ornan, Give me the side of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price, so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Ornan said to David, Take it, and let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I present the oxen for burnt offerings, and the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for a grain offering, I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Our second reading is from the book of John, the perennial favorite of people with rainbow wigs on. You can laugh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to go a little bit, a long way around the barn to get to the point this morning. So I hope you'll bear with me. I like old things very much, especially old people. I like holding the door for them. I like greeting them outside every Sunday morning. It doesn't matter. But I like young people too. And so I greet them when they come in every morning. But as I get older, older people are starting to have a very special place in my heart because I know how hard it was for me to get to this age. I'm lucky to be standing here. I grew up in the 70s. But I like old things like old furniture. I like to touch antiques. I love, I cannot not braille old furniture. And I don't really care what condition it's in. It has stories to tell. And people will bring, I refinish furniture from time to time, and people will bring me something old and say, we want it to look brand new. And my first question is, why? It's beautiful. I can take the way it is and make it look a little bit prettier. But all that stuff, the scratches, the dents, the dings, that's character. It tells a story. And I think, when I look at it, how did you get here? 
found one time an old English chair from the Georgian era in an antique store in Austin. And it, I didn't buy it because I didn't have that kind of money. But I was looking at it and thinking, how did that even get to Austin, Texas? I wish I could go back and follow its journey and see where it's been, what it's done. Well, I had a friend and I was talking to her. She said she had a bedside table from the old Shannon Hospital back home. And she said, it's very, rare. it's very rare. It's worth a small fortune. Now, everything we own is worth a small fortune. All you have to do is ask us. We all have those things. But if we look at it honestly from an economic standpoint, it might be rare. But what if nobody wants it? Then what's it worth? You see, it's all relative. It has relative value. She showed it to me, and I said, look, it's nice. It's interesting. It's solid wood. It really is a cool piece from the 1930s. I think it's wonderful. She said, well, it's worth $400 at least. And I said, Pat, it's not worth $400. Yes, it is. Well, it's not worth $400 to me. I like it very much, but I wouldn't want to buy it. It just doesn't appeal to me in that way. And she said, it's worth $400. Okay. It's worth $400 to you, and it's probably worth $400 to somebody else, but it's not worth $400 to someone who doesn't want it. No, it's worth $400. Okay, no problem. It's worth $400. I love your $400 bedside table. And driving down the road, I see these antique stores and flea markets. And I do not like antique stores. I like junk stores. I like stores where everything in there is just a little bit dirty. Where everything looks like something that just wouldn't sell in a garage sale. Those are my favorite kinds of places. I don't even have to buy something to enjoy walking through there. Now, my older son had a great time one time in an antique store. Back home, he found... uh, the high school yearbook from my junior year in high school in an antique store. (laughs) And he thought that was hilarious. And the sad part was it had the name of the person who had owned it. (laughs) I had chemistry with him. I knew the guy. But I love to look at all the cool stuff, and I've noticed something over the years. I'm not an expert on those things, but I know what I know. And people are selling stuff in these rented booths who don't understand English. And uh, language changes. We speak English, so the use of words change. But it still bugs me when people use words in ways that I was told you're not supposed to. 
I love going by and looking and then having a rant about somebody who puts vintage on something old. Vintage doesn't mean old. Vintage is a reference to a time period. So it should say vintage 1910. Or it should say vintage 1804. But vintage by itself doesn't mean old or didn't used to. It used to mean something and tell you something. All it means now is we think this is really old and it must be valuable. Or they'll say rare. I love that one, rare. And you go to three booths over and there's eight more of them. (laughs) Exactly alike. But one of my favorite things to look at, I love old books. You've seen the old Bible I had a few weeks ago that I showed the kids. I just love old books. I love them because of their construction. I love the way they're put together, especially the old ones that are done by hand. They're well-made. They're hard-bound books. And they're works of art. I got to work on books in seminary that were 600 years old and help preserve them. There's nothing like touching one of those and wondering the same thing. How did it get here? How could it possibly have gotten here? But there's one thing they all have in common. Every one of those books, they're worth nothing. Did you know that? Books are worthless unless There are two things that can make them worth something. No one wants them except a library and librarians and seminary students, number one. And the fact that they're really old means nothing to their price. And the fact that they are rare most of the time doesn't mean much. The fact that Joe Bob's book about hunting deer from 1920 and sold eight copies is rare doesn't make it worth anything. I love to collect Stephen King novels, first editions. They're hard to find and they're a lot of fun. But even with those, this huge library I have is worth about 10% of what I actually paid for it. For me, it's not an investment. It's a collection. That's all it is. I collect them because I like them. And the least sellable book of all in the world, the Bible. You can't sell them, old ones anyway. Because for every old Bible you have, there are 18,000 other ones just like it. They're not rare. That Bible I had Somebody donated to the the library of the seminary. And one of the ladies said, you want it? I said, well, yeah, but, you know, I don't think I can afford it. She said, no, you can just take it. We already have three. Not a rare book. If you have an original Gutenberg or you can prove that that particular Bible belonged to somebody important, it's worth something. But my Bible here, if you find it 300 years from now in a bookstore, 
it won't be worth anything. There'll be a hundred more just like it on the shelf. But I've learned, regardless of any other factor, stuff is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And that's a fact. My friend's bedside table, she would be willing to pay $400 for it, so to her, that's what it's worth. But our story about David's sacrifice gets us even closer to the point I'm trying to make. David is making amends with God for a sin, for a transgression. And Ornan is willing to give all of his stuff to David to meet David's needs. You don't have to pay for it, King David. You can have it. But David insists on, pulling, on paying full price because if it costs him nothing, it's not a sacrifice. If it costs you nothing and me nothing, how is it a sacrifice? If I give this Bible away, it's not a sacrifice. I like this one. I don't want to give it away. What costs us much is valuable to God when we give it to God. But an offering for sins or an offering of thanksgiving is worthless to God if it's worthless to us. What does it cost us to do the things that we do? Most of the time, not much. A little time to write a check. A little time to stop and say hello. And those things matter. But they don't really cost us anything. A little bit of time. But there's one thing in this world that has value that is not relative to any factor. Nothing at all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What does that tell us about the value of humanity to God? What are we worth to God? What would God not sacrifice to save us? God holds nothing back. He gave the life of His only Son, but our true value to God is not relative and doesn't depend on the life of His Son to establish our value to God. God's valuation of us has nothing to do with market fluctuations. It's not subject to supply and demand. There's no economic bubble that's going to burst. The price is set, and that's that. Our value to God has been determined by God. And it was determined by the size of God's sacrifice. God sacrificed the most valuable thing that God had in God's possession. Himself. What do you suppose Jesus was worth to God? If Jesus was indeed God. Would you guys sacrifice Stephen 
or David for me? Well, I mean, if you sacrifice one of them, you still got to spare. <laughs> you wouldn't do that? Then I guess two or three thousand dollars of severance pays out of the question. <laughs> I wouldn't pay me either. Each and every human being on this planet, past, present, and future, is worth as much to God as individuals as Jesus was and is. You think about that for a minute. Spend some time this week thinking about that. To God, this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. We are just as valuable as Jesus. We are just as valuable to God as God is to himself. You ever thought about that? You're worth as much to God as Jesus is worth to God, just like you are. Well, don't I have to stop sinning for God to love me like that? No. That's the beauty of God's grace. God forgives us. We are forgiven. Whatever we do, we're going to be forgiven. All God asks for us, and it's not in return for grace. Is that we acknowledge the fact that we're not perfect. And that we acknowledge the fact that everyone around us is not perfect. And we live with each other in mutual love and forbearance. That is all Jesus ever asked of us. You're worth just as much to God as Jesus is. And Jesus is priceless.